0: on this episode of the byo nano podcast we're going to do two deep interviews into practical applications your brewery can do when it comes to disaster preparedness and what to think about when it comes to charitable giving and hiring practices this is john hall and welcome to the byo nano podcast Episode 19, the world is picking up speed again and there's no time to rest. There are dozens of things to think about daily to keep your small business running and in the right direction. Each day seems to bring new challenges that don't always have easy solutions. So my guests this month have some thoughts and some insight. And I'll start off by talking with Allison Wisneski. She's the head of marketing, among other things, at Lady Justice Brewing in Colorado. She has insights into hiring practices for nano breweries and what they've found works for their brewery, as well as to how to focus on charitable giving so that it means something to you and your small business. Then, I'll talk with Matt Humbert of Patent Brewing in Maryland, a nanobrewery and planning which is currently offering lab services to small breweries. At his day job, though, he's been part of the government response to combat COVID-19. As such, I wanted to talk with him about disaster preparedness, how to get ready for a pandemic, someone being sick, or the next natural disaster. I'll talk with them in a moment, but first, however, I'm really happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment lineup, skid-mounted brew houses. Available in 5 to 15 barrel capacity, these production powerhouses are designed for flexibility, engineered for performance, and built for growth. Experience the convenience you want from a name you trust at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And we're also brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops, which has officially launched their newest product, Cryo Pop, original blend. YCH has combined their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with cutting edge lab analysis to create cryo hops with a pop. Using this new research to identify the most beer-soluble hop compounds that survived the brewing process, they engineered a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aroma in your finished beers. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. And save the date. The fourth annual NanoCon Online takes place December 3 and 4, 2021 with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshops for the nano craft brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon Online on your calendar or sign up now and save $100. Learn more at byo.com, and I'll see you there. From the moment you first open your email in the morning, your day is being thrown in a hundred different directions, adding calls, social media, and human interactions, and it can be hard to put the focus where you need it, guiding your small brewery in the direction you want. To start off the show this month, I'm talking with Allison Wisniewski. She's the head of marketing at Lady Justice Brewing in Colorado. And since its founding, the brewery has grown from a one-barrel system to a seven-barrel system and has had the hard conversations about what she and the other owners of the brewery want it to be, where they can do the most good, and how they continue to be true to themselves, their customers, and their neighborhood. Here we talk about missions and giving, finding a niche for good, and what they've been doing. The candid conversations and all to find the right people to hire. She spoke to me from Colorado.
1: Our three founders, Kate, Jen, and Betsy, and full disclosure, Betsy is my wife. Um, so th- we all met serving in Americorps in 2009, and the they got to talking after a really hard day uh, working at a nonprofit and they were having a beer at their favorite brew pub, and they looked around and they were like, we're in the middle of a recession, and yet people are coming here and spending their money on beer. Why can't we just brew beer and make the world a better place? And that idea really stuck with them. So Kate and Jen went off to law school after serving in AmeriCorps for their two years, and um, Betsy went off and worked in the nonprofit sector. And Kate wrote about Lady Justice as a business plan for her business law class. Mm-hmm. And her professor pulled her aside afterward and was like, "So do this. No one is doing this. You should do this. This is smart." Um, and so she called us all up and said, "Hey, when I graduate, I'm gonna come back to Denver. You wanna you wanna make that brewery, that great beer, better world thing?" And that was kind of the birth of it. And so, so we wait, have so, the, all, so oh, yeah. was
0: the was the professor's idea. Sorry to interrupt, but was the pre- professor's idea like, "Oh, nobody's making beer," or was there something about the? The business plan itself that yeah so out.
1: it was the business plan so originally when we began we were an l3c so a low profit limited liability company the biggest one that we can always point people to for relation is tom's shoes so okay. for everything that comes in the door it goes out the door so a one-for-one model and so that is how we began where we all worked full-time jobs and at the beginning Our plan was we can all continue working and making this beer on our little one barrel system, basically like a glorified homebrew system. We'll do it on the weekends. We'll do it on weeknights and we'll get money out the door to promote the status of women and girls in the state of Colorado through micro grants. And so that was the beginning for us. And we had always come up with, and eventually we'd like to pay ourselves um, dollar for dollar what men make in the industry and, um, we're finally, you know, many years later approaching that point. Um, I was
0: going to ask. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. So we're, we've since evolved our model greatly. Um, and so we, for years, we were a membership only model. So we called it a CSB similar to a CSA where you buy farm shares. It was like, you were buying beer shares and folks would buy a so membership. CSB
0: community supported beer.
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so. Folks would buy their membership and then for three months they would come and get, uh, you know, change sizes, but 22 ounce bomber and a 12 ounce, um, you know, test beer. And if they like the 12 ounce, we'd brew it for the next month. And at the end of that, we would introduce them to the nonprofit who was receiving the micro grant at, you know, a friendly brewery's tap room. So we would, you know, guest tap and our hope was that we were bringing together nonprofits into the beer space and then beer drinkers into the giving space. So, kind of this introduction for folks to say, hey, you can drink beer, that's making the world a better place. And so, that's always been our model. That's still our current, you know, that concept is still drink beer, make the world better. Um, but buying the tap room in 2020 is what had us flip both our mission statement and our business model. So we transitioned from being an L3C to an LLC. Um, and that was mostly, it's, it's difficult to be under an organization that you're giving all your money away when you have a building to pay rent for and employees to pay. Um, and so we were able to, um, you know, we had the misfortune of buying a tap room in February of 2020. And (laughs) so why did something happen? Yeah. I don't know. Was anything wild? Um, Yeah, we closed on the space March 15th. So we were able, I'm putting air quotes around, you know, be open for two days before the world shut down. And we obviously had no beer because we had been there for two days. So we reconfigured and sold beer as a to-go model. And for us, since we were already so small and scrappy and we had solely functioned, you know, as this to-go model, it worked out great. Um, it wasn't a huge shift for us. We had no paid staff at the time. Uh, we had a brewer, um, Amy sody who, uh, was with us until December of 2020 brewing and we just kind of made it work. And so until we could open the tap room and that's when we started to sit down and reconfigure that mission statement of, well, we can't give all our money away. So how do we want to do this? And our leadership team, which is just the founders, our operations manager, Laura and our new tapper manager, Richard, we kind of sat down and talked and came up with this concept of let's be twofold. So let's continue the CSB. And now that we have a seven barrel system, we can have way more CSB members, which is really fun. So I believe we have 150 right now, um, which is great. And they get to come in and pick up two 32 ounce growlers of beer every other month and it's custom brewed just for them. And at the end of the year, uh, they'll get together with the two nonprofits that we chose. And in comparison to where we were giving $100, $300, $500, we were able to give $8,000 to these two organizations because we were able to have more members. Um, So that's where we're still giving 100% of proceeds from sales from the CSB. And then for the tap room, we wanted our focus to really be on how are we highlighting our community? We're in the Aurora Cultural Arts District on East Colfax, uh, right on the Denver-Aurora border. There are 100 languages spoken and just as many nationalities within that zip code. And for us moving in, we wanted to really not just move into a space and for uh you know myself i'm a white woman right like not move in and gentrify that space however you know that you know holding on to that while saying what are we also doing to be a part of the community lift up the community so getting out there getting to know our neighbors those types of things as well as being a community space where folks can host different things so sharing about their organizations their businesses um their minority owned businesses come on in and put up flyers table you want to brew a beer together, let's talk about it. If it's focused on the mission of supporting women and girls, then we're supporting their mission.
0: So that's the, it, the interesting thing to me is I, I, in talking with a lot of brewers, um, there's always charities, there's always nonprofits, there's always causes that are reaching out to breweries and they want, mm-hmm. you know, they want a donation uh, money or free beer for something that they're doing or something along those lines. And um I remember talking to a brewer a couple of years ago who had, I, I think, like seven or eight emails come in in the span of like ninety minutes of uh-huh. just getting hit over and over again. He says, "You know, I'd really love to, to to do all of this, but you know, I I I don't know these people, or you know, like I I, I feel bad saying no to, to to specific causes, but like I don't feel anything towards this, and 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 I think that that's a a, a common thing among you know any small business where um you know people are. Asking for support, uh, you know, you want to say yes, but you know it's not always feasible. Your model, where you're deliberately thinking about who you want to benefit um, mm-hmm. through the beers, I, I wonder, from your marketing perspective, is is that something that you would recommend, like other small nano breweries or any breweries, I guess, spend a few minutes focusing on, like, what's important to us you know, what's important to our community, what's important to, and then sort of focus on that. And then maybe feeling okay, if you have to say no to other places.
1: So honestly, it's funny that you say that we have, we're approached multiple times a day by different organizations. Um, If people see us on the news or they do a Google search and they see, oh, they give back. We could reach out to them. They'll give us just, something. Just for wait for auction. the flood of
0: emails that come after it's, you're on this show.
1: I believe it. Um, yeah, it's it's no joke. And so for us, we just had this conversation um, within the past month with our leadership team where someone was like, oh, I love those breweries that put dogs that you can adopt on the labels. We should do something like that. And We have rescue pets in our homes, all of us, all of us as employees. And yet we were like, that's not our mission. And it's okay for all of us coming from nonprofit. We know what happens when you lose mission alignment. And we've worked at nonprofits where that has happened. And so we've lived that experience. And what happens when you lose mission alignment is you get giver fatigue and folks aren't able to be like, well, I have to go to this brewery because they're working with the animal shelter and you know the Boys and Girls Club and they're working with the Battered Women's Shelter and they're working like they're like name all these things. It's too much and going so broad makes people feel tired and like they're not doing enough. And that'll often clo- you know cause folks to shut down. And so for us, if we are if our mission statement says promoting the status of women and girls in the state of Colorado through grants then we have the ability to say that now do we flex to make sure that that fits things sometimes? Certainly. Um, you know, we just worked with one of our favorite food trucks in Denver, Yuan wonton, and she's been focused on supporting the AAPI community. And so we immediately, you know, we were selling these wonton kits and I said, who's someone that you care about that when we're open for the day that we're selling those kits, we can do a dollar from every draft pour to." Um, and that she said, there's this organization working on AAPI safety in California. And we know, we very regularly don't give to that. But I said, you know, this is someone we're working with either way. We're selling these kits, they're fabulous. Um, and it's something she cares about. And it will support women and girls. It won't be in Colorado, but that was a break of mission alignment that I was okay making for, yeah. you know, so it, it still fit. It wasn't something totally off base. Um, And it's something that's important to our diverse community. So we did it. Um, But I think if you sit down with a team and you ask yourself, what are things that we care about and actually have, you know, that can be a hard conversation, too. You might have folks who feel really passionate about something and you have your own team, you know, lobbying for, I really care about mental health in the brewing industry. And here's why. And getting to share that and then someone else saying, I really care about breast cancer. And here's why talking about those things, but finding something that feels niche so that people, when they walk in the door, they say, oh, this is that brewery that, and we, we have that. This is that brewery that gives back to women and girls. We know that that's what's said about us. And that means I'm doing my job right. Right. Um, and, And, and it means people know what their money is going to every time.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's sort of the thing, being able to dial in as opposed to I think some of these, these charities that reach out and I'm not disparaging against any of them, but um, yeah, it, it, it seems generic sometimes, you know, of, you know, like uh, we're against cancer, you know, well, everybody's against cancer, but like, but like what specifically like, how, like, how is this going to benefit or, you know, like whatever, whatever it is. So having, do, do you think that it has helped make a better connection with consumers because they know exactly what you're about?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, It's really fun. And especially for our location, I would say, and it's changing. When we started, it was mostly our fans coming in, you know, folks who were just like, oh my God, you have a tap room. Our longtime CSB members our good friends. But I'm finding that moreover than not, we are seeing more folks come in the door who might try to go to a nearby brewery and see that it's busy. Google breweries in my area, see us and come in. And they might have no idea who we are. And when they walk in the door, they're hit with exactly who we are, right? We have a giant mural of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Dolores Huerta, and Marsha P. Johnson. We have the queer inclusion pride flag. We have um, a say their names list of uh, black and brown people who have been killed by police in the Colorado area. Like. We, we are really clear about who we are and what we do. And so they walk in the door and they're like, so what's uh what's this place about? And we get to tell them our mission, right? Um, and that <laughs> as, piece, as
0: if you couldn't tell. Yeah, that's, yeah.
1: Let us tell you who we are. Yeah. And the fun part, especially, you know, it's very rare that we don't have a collab beer on tap that isn't giving back to something. And so people are like, oh, if I drink this beer, money goes to this, how much money? And we're really quick to answer that. We know those answers if it's a percentage or a dollar amount. Um, you know, we're we've really tapped in and I think it's, you know, this perfect mix of coming from a nonprofit background and knowing how important it is to be clear about your mission, as well as really wanting to make good beer so people aren't like, well, I gotta go drink this crappy beer, but at least it gets back. That's not what we're trying to do. It's we're drinking really good beer and it happens to. Give back, and so I know my beer dollars are going. The beer dollars I'd spend somewhere else, I can spend here, and it's going somewhere awesome.
0: I want to switch gears because um, uh, I tried to get you on the show last month, and uh, it, it didn't work out. And last month, I was talking a little bit about uh, the employee shortage and mm-hmm. and how uh, small businesses and hospitality are having a really tough time getting good workers in their door and then re- retaining good workers. And it's happening mm-hmm. throughout the hospitality industry. Um, I wanted to talk about it last month. It's still happening this month mm-hmm. and your brewery has, um, the reason I wanted to reach out, I, I thought a pretty good approach to, um, how you are soliciting to potential employees, potential workers. You were talking earlier about making sure you want to, uh, pay your folks. Well, so w- what have you found works? In the last year or so for the brewery for the tap room um, when it comes to finding recruiting hiring and then maintaining employees
1: yeah so for us um it had always just been our founding team and really close friends who were volunteer guests pouring for us because they had their tip certification those little things um yeah. myself right because I'm the director of working. so sure I'll go pour some beers um and we had a kick in the pants in September um when I got COVID and so we we closed you know we went above and beyond I was the only person who got it on the team and I was very fortunately asymptomatic I tested um prepping for surgery and So that moment we closed and it was kind of this, like, we're calling it a come to Jesus moment of, okay, so we need to hire people because we can't, we can't just be doing this on our own because when a moment like this happens and because it's in our very close circle of people, one of us is down, everyone's down. So we had a long discussion over what we wanted um, and we sat down together. That's the other plus, you know, we all work in these professional settings. Um, Two of our founders are full-time lawyers. Um, I've been in the tech industry for a long time and Betsy works at a school. Like we've got a good crew of folks who know how to do a job description. So we sat down and talked about what do we want and what mattered to us in this industry and what felt most authentic is you can teach anyone about beer. You really can. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't teach uh, the personality of someone who you want to be in your space representing you. That's something that you're going to feel, you're going to sense, you're going to know. And so that piece felt really important to us. Like, is it mission aligned? Do they feel like they want to be here? Do they feel like they want to be talking constantly about our mission? Do they feel like They can sit down with someone who says, I don't know anything about beer and talk with them about it in a way that makes them feel seen and heard. Um, That piece just, it needed to be a mission fit for us. And so we talked about that saying, you know, we're going to pay for you to get TIP certified if you're not. And we're going to teach you about the difference between an ale and a lager and a West Coast IPA and, you know, like talking through those things, that's something you can learn and we love to teach it but we need you to have excellent customer service skills and we need you to want to be here. So, we put together our job application as just a Google Doc as a team and we worked on it for hours because we're a classic group of overthinkers and <laughs> that's, you know, that's what came from it was do you want to be here? Like are you fun, friendly and positive? Are you over 21? Do you think beer is cool? You don't have to want to brew it. You just like you got to think it's pretty cool. Great, come on in. And so that was kind of our step one. The hard part when we started was we know what we can pay you, but we don't particularly know what tips will be. And so for the first, our first two employees that came in to beer tend, uh, Jenna and Richard, we were just like, tips are what you make them, right? And now we, you know, we're it took us two months to figure it out. Now we know exactly what they are. And so they're, you know, our beer tenders are making pretty good money anywhere between on average, it's like 20 to 30 bucks an hour. Um, And we're able to say that pretty confidently now after experiencing it. And so we're able to promote those things. We like to be really forward and forthcoming about money with folks so that they know what they're stepping into. Hey, we're asking you for this many hours, here are the shifts, Um, here's what we expect to be done. Um, you're coming in a little early and you're staying a little later than the open and closed times. And here's what we need done during that time. So we go through that in the interview process. Um, just so folks have a really clear picture of, is this something you want to do? You're going to be on your feet. Yes. You'll get your, your breaks and your food time, but like you're going to be on your feet. You're going to be talking with customers and it's following a global pandemic. How comfortable do you feel in this space? Um, how do you feel when folks walk in off the street? There's, you know, our neighborhood, we have, folks who are experiencing homelessness come in we have folks who are asking for money for food for water um how comfortable do you feel those people are our family too so you need to be able to service them the exact same way that you service a paying customer um and making sure folks feel comfortable doing that as well because that's part of our mission too is great a better world that means everyone so um you know we're Oh
0: yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask if you found that when you're having those conversations with potential employees, because that sounds like such a departure from some of the hiring conversations that I've heard in the past. Are, mm-hmm. are, are they, is there an appreciation? Are you getting some people who are like, okay, no, that's not what I wanted and walk away.
1: And- <laughs> you know, we can, it's that vibe check, right? So like, Many folks who apply, you know, and we've gone through all different hiring channels um, our own social media, different websites, um, recruiter websites, local Denver papers, those types of things. So we've done all of it. And we've found I work really hard myself to curate our social media to be a very authentic look uh, in the mirror, right? So it's like you're having a conversation with us when you visit any of our social media. Mm -hmm. And we've had the most success when we share to our social media and we tag the local news outlets and the local papers um, and beer diversity and the groups that we really admire for bringing in diverse folks. um, And we get shares there and that's how we get applicants. That's worked really well for us. Um, When we were on basic recruiting websites, we were getting lots of copy and paste and folks who weren't mission aligned at all. We had one person who applied who was like, I just love being in nature. I love being with the trees. And, you know, I look forward to hearing back from you. And I was like, babe, we're on Colfax. You're not going to be by trees. Like, you know, so this is not, uh, yeah. Yeah. If there's there's
0: any growth happening uh, in the brewery, then that's a sanitation problem. Yeah, right. We don't, yeah, that's not,
1: we got no growth. Like (laughs) it's, it was, it, we've learned a lot in the process, but what we've found is many of the people who come in It's one of two things. They think they know who we are and they learn a lot when I'm like, we expect you to work with the population that walks in the door. Um, And they're either into it or not, or they super know who we are. They're customers who have come in and they're like, let us know if you're ever hiring. Um, And then they get to apply.
2: And
1: it's, that part's really fun when we get, that's the fabric of the taproom, right? We're hiring our authentic people who get to sell the beer that they already know and love. Um, We ask in the interview, what's your favorite Lady Justice beer? And I love when people are honest and say, you know what, I haven't made it in here yet. But I love a a Kolsch, Um yeah. and I'd love to try yours. You know, or we get folks. We had one interviewee who we just hired. Um, we just did a round of hiring last week, and she was like, "Are you guys going to make fun of me if I say it's your hard seltzer?" And I said, "No, we make it." So I'm glad you like it. You know, yeah. um, it's it's that part's fun, and then we get to sit with them. Our taproom manager Richard is awesome, and you know, creates great SOPs and these handbooks and these things that folks can work off of to say like, when it's a little bit slower, sit down and read about beer, read about beer styles, read about why we serve this beer and why one might feel like it has more head than the other and know that that's intentional. And, you know, we get to teach folks why we do the things that we do and how we do it and how to talk about it, but they get to do it all in their authentic voice. The way I talk about beer is much different than the way Betsy talks about beer because she's a brewer and a beer nerd and like, you know, working on her Cicerone. And I'm like, okay, so do you like Michelob? Like I like meet people at the base of where they are and like work up with them. So it's very different. Um, And you want that that from your
2: employees as well it's exactly
1: right we we you know they get to watch us do that work and be like oh i truly do get to just be myself here
0: there's a lot i i I, you just shared a lot of great lessons i think for anybody who's struggling with uh and employee hiring right now so um thank you for that um you yeah. mentioned your social media it's uh, at lady justice brewing uh, on instagram and it looks like it's the same on facebook as well and i know uh folks are going to be thinking about the craft brewers conference coming up in september in denver so they should definitely get out to where you guys are and see what you're doing uh firsthand allison thanks for thanks for being on the show today i really appreciate
1: absolutely. it absolutely thank you so much john
0: Thanks again to this episode's sponsors. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment lineup, skid-mounted brew houses, available in 5 to 15-barrel capacities. Experience the convenience you want at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And we're brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops makers of CryoPop Original Blend, a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical stone fruit and citrus aromas in your finished beers. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. Look, I know you're tired. I'm tired too. It's been a long year and a half, and there's no real relief on the horizon from our responsibilities. We're all worn out. People are stressed out and just want a break. But... We're also rational, and we know that there's always something around the corner. So far this year, we've had a hurricane down south that did a number on the east coast on its way up. We've had fires and earthquakes out west, deadly heat waves, and cicadas. And also, yeah, we're still in a pandemic. The fact is, we all need to be prepared for the worst, but hope for the best. If you're a small brewery owner, this is just another thing for your already very long to-do list. But by taking some steps now, you might be able to save headaches and heartaches later. Matt Humbard knows a thing or two about planning for disasters. His day job is working to respond to the pandemic. He's also in the beer world as co-founder of Patent Brewing Company in Maryland, which for now has a lab with an analytical services. And he's also the former owner of Handsome Beer Company, has a PhD in microbiology and cell biology from the University of Florida, and co founded the podcast Milk the Funk, the podcast, which focuses on the science of mixed fermentation beer, wine, mead, and cider. Here in this interview, he's offering his insights on what he's learned on both sides of his career and on what you can do to get ready before things go pear shaped. He spoke to me on Zoom from Maryland. You're, you're, in between breweries as i as i understand it right now um with Handsome being closed and, and thinking about um launching a new one I, I think throughout people's careers you know they might have to change jobs or they might uh you know, leave something that they're that they're um uh, heavily involved in and then sort of start something new but that in between time can often offer perspective and i wonder, since you know your last place closed and now you're thinking about the 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 new one um where your your mind has been what you've been thinking about you know how you might want to do things differently this time or um things that you definitely want to do again what's been sort of on your mind as you've been thinking about the next project
2: oh sure um so when handsome was for all intents and purposes a successful business but it was just on a trajectory that was sort of parting ways with what I thought I could offer to the beer industry and um a point of view of brewing and I was not upset when we decided to close handsome I I thought it was the right move and when we started planning the new project which we call which is called Patent Brewing Company and it's based in Maryland it's just not open yet we I really leaned back into what I consider my strengths, which is more of a scientific approach to things. And so that's why we opened the lab first. So we opened patent labs, which is part of patent brewing company. Um, So we can actually sort of not only produce beer, but make beer better. Um, That's sort of the way we describe it. We, we help other breweries with their process. Um, by making it more scientific, and I think that's always been my goal and strengths and everything is to apply scientific principles to a process. And brewing is 100% a scientific process. But there's so many small breweries out there that don't, that can't afford a lab, that can't, that don't have that background, and don't engage their process from a scientific point of view, and have issues with variability and lost batches and potential contamination problems and that's that's what we wanted to be part of our business plan is going in and assisting those small breweries really at the 15 barrel or less size sort of brew house. People are making three, five, 10, 15 barrel batches. Uh, much bigger than that, you should be able to afford your own lab um, and get those services in-house. But but refocusing our refocusing down onto the scientific principles of brewing and microbiology is what allowed me to gain that perspective back on what I love about this industry and what I love about um, beer.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because as I've traveled around and I've talked with a lot of small brewers, you know, oftentimes they'll have a very bare basic lab setup um, but not, anything that is super sophisticated or that can help sort of pinpoint problems um, and size is a factor and cost is a factor um in your lab work what have you seen if you've seen anything uh, 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 of common but easily avoidable mistakes uh, being done on the small level um that small on the small brewing level that you know nanos should be, uh, maybe mindful of um, even before they pick up the phone for some of your analytic services are there, are there things that they can do in-house that you're seeing they're just not doing before they're calling you?
2: Um, there's yeah there's lots of things that we've seen we we see breweries that do water treatments without knowing their water profile. so they're they're adding gypsum to their Ipas without knowing how much gypsum's already in their water for example um and and other things like not cleaning not cleaning their tanks properly um not cleaning with their valves open and closed and so they're they're leaving areas where they're not um exposing all the surfaces that are contacting beer to cleansers we had breweries that aren't completely flushing their cleansers out Yikes. and, and getting, getting their beer contaminated. We talk about technical, how to set up like a technical pallet program. Um, so you can taste if there's caustic in your beer. I mean, that was a problem at a brewery that we went to. Um, they were all complaining about the taste of their beer. And I took us up and I'm like, like, let's look at your CIP protocol real quick.
0: <laughs> Yikes.
2: <laughs> um, and stuff like that. Like, you don't know what the problem is. You don't know what you don't know.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Right. And as far as I'm, as far as I can tell, very few breweries do yeast counts. um, When they're pitching, they just take, they just take word for the yeast that they're buying is what's on the label. And I think that's pretty dangerous um, for a reproducibility and a product quality point of view, but it's also a really tedious thing to do. And so people don't do it um and so especially repitching like yeah. i there's a lot of breweries out there that repitch yeast and they don't do yeast counts and so i ask them like how much you pitch and they say like i don't know like a gallon like a gallon of what
0: and these are these are you know should be brewing basics but there there there's sometimes some fast and loose that happens um in, in, in the beer world and sometimes it works and, but more oftentimes than not, I mean, regardless of size, there is something to be said about scientific repetition, um, to keep achieving the results, um, the, the, the desired results, um, as, as you talk to breweries, um, when you're offering some of these analytical services, um, is there pushback on that? Because there there's oftentimes I hear about the art of brewing, um, Many times I hear about the art of brewing, but it's you know science is so critically important, but just doesn't come up as much as it probably should.
2: Um, this is probably an observational bias, but <laughs> people who contact me um, were a very small lab. So if you contact me, you know me or know about me, and you want to talk to a guy like me. And so I can confidently say we've had zero pushback when we show up to a place and say like, Oh, this is, this is what we can do. And this is what we can check. Um, we've had, we had a brewery contact us. that just had like a weird problem with a batch. It was a 30 barrel batch of beer. And I showed up to the brewery. They gave me a sample. I took it home and I just went through and I like wrote them a little report about how I fixed the sample of beer they gave me. and the. And that beer went to market, and they saved them thirty thousand dollars. There's there's no brewery that I've come across that doesn't want to improve their process or their product. But once again, these people are calling me, so yeah. this is the mindset that they're in. But I've never gone into a brewery and said like, "Well, I think you might have a contamination problem," and then say like, "Get the hell out!" <laughs> right. That yeah. they, everybody wants a better product, and that's part of this industry. Like we're constantly improving, right? You can make mistakes, but the second mistake is to repeat it. Yeah. Right. So there's there is this sort of self correction, and people are enthusiastic about it.
0: And the, and the people who are willing to admit, you know, that they don't know what they don't know, or you know, deep down knowing that something is wrong, and actually asking for help. Um, I think are the ones who wind up succeeding in the long runs, as opposed to some folks who might just dig in and, you know, try to cast blame someplace else and and, and, and not address uh, the fundamental issues.
2: Um, Wanting to be better. Couldn't hurt. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know data on whether or not they're more successful or not, but I can't imagine it hurting their business to making a more consistent and better product
0: in addition to beer uh you've been helping out with the country's response to the pandemic um and thanks for that by the way cuz um it's nice to be out in the world again and seeing people vaccinated and um you know life reopening again in a in a cautious and and, and careful way um but it, it's gotten me thinking about last march and when states started putting out uh, edicts and uh, places started closing down unexpectedly and everybody was like, well, what are we going to do and what happens to our taps and what happens to, you know, if my staff goes down and et cetera, et cetera. And then we've had a hurricane in, in Florida or a tropical storm rolling through and there's some wildfires all over the place and earthquakes. And um, I, I just thought it would probably be decent to talk about um two or three things uh, that you might recommend small breweries, Nanos doing um, to have a disaster response plan, be it a pandemic, be it a natural disaster, be it, you know, somebody just gets sick and you're a one person operation. What is what does that mean? Um, I, if if you were talking to folks you know who have small breweries about what to do if they were to close unexpectedly um, or be closed unexpectedly, what where would you start? what What would you say that they should be thinking
2: about? Yeah, I've given this some thought, especially since we we talked about it over text a bit. Um, and I think what's worked in in Maryland, at least is sort of engaging, well, there, there's a lot of levels to this. but everybody knows that a small brewery makes basically all of its money with over the bar sales. You make your money by having someone come in and give you money for that beer in the glass at the bar yeah and distribution is a hard model and the margins are razor thin Um, depending on your region you might not even be allowed to distribute your own beer Um, but i think i think the first thing that a brewery should look into is really diversifying their packaging for to-go beer, which has a similar margin because it's still over the bar and you're not paying a distributor 28% or 29% of your markup to distribute it. And I think I I made the joke early on in the pandemic, um, did October save the craft beer industry? Because October, the the individual can-seamer, I know it's a brand thing, so I hope that doesn't violate anything on your podcast, but- No, no. We've had
0: them on the show in the past. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody started filling crawlers, like all of these little five barrel breweries just immediately started filling crawlers. And I made the joke like that October saved the craft beer industry. And when we look at Patton's business plan, now we understand that packaging has to be part of it, which it wasn't a large part of the, the business plan before packaging will save interruptions in sales because of closures from whatever. Um, because that's a to-go beer option that has a similar margin. And the other the other big piece of that is um, during the pandemic, a lot of states put in temporary waivers or exemptions from for to-go beer or to-go alcohol from breweries and wineries and even distilleries. In Maryland, the volume is heavily restricted on how much an individual person can purchase at once. Mm-hmm. Um, that restriction went away for the pandemic because practicality, because you're going to be one person, you want to limit how many people go to a brewery. You're not going to limit how much they can take away. Cause who knows, maybe they're buying for four people. Also restrictions are ridiculous. Yeah. Um, cause who cares how much, <laughs> how many cans of beer you walk away from? What does it, why is that anybody's business? Um, that, I think that, I think it's a important. whole other
0: show. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's a whole other show. I think it's important for small breweries to basically advocate for their state um, guilds uh, to keep those restrictions off of them because they make no sense and they're actually anti-competitive and all this, all these other things. And if if you can keep those restrictions off, that that helps the over-the-counter to-go sales as well. As far as specifics about staff getting sick and, and things like that, um, most places in the United States don't have mandatory vaccination um, requirements for, for service staff. I don't think any place in the country has a mandatory vaccination for service staff. And I don't necessarily agree with mandatory vaccination. Surprisingly, I think people assume that I do, but. I actually don't. I think it's the right thing to do from an individual and public health point of view, but I don't think mandating it um, helps the cause. I think you need to create a society where people see it as the logical um, thing to do rather than the thing that they have to do. Yeah. Um, So I I think incentivizing employees to get vaccinated is... Completely legal, and I think businesses can and should do that if they have customer-facing staff, especially um, because they're going to be contact in contact with a lot of people over and over and over, as well as having a, a robust built-in sick leave policy for employees so they don't feel they have to come to work when they have the flu.
0: Yeah,
2: I think that's that has to be built into businesses now. Just to not not only to protect the customers and the employees, but to protect the business. Because if you have to close because Johnny came to work when he tested positive for COVID the next day because he was worried about losing out on his shift, then that now, now the owner's out of a week's worth of money because he has to decontaminate his bar.
0: Yeah. And we saw that, you know, where breweries were closing during the pandemic sort of unexpectedly of, you know, shit, we got a COVID test back. We're going to close for four days and see how everybody else does and, and, and things like that. And there is sort of this, you know, fly by night and everybody was learning as they were going, um, at least in the public uh, arena, it seemed. Um, I, I guess I was curious if you had like, process thoughts of if you're a small brewery with one or two employees, maybe like a you know it's a it's a family run tap room or something, uh family run nano. Um and you know you are the the 90% of what you know the business needs to survive and you go down. Um are, are there any things that you can sort of think of that people should should be thinking about um before that happens or you know just you know how do you shut down for you know, a week or so with a small brewery um, process-wise if somebody gets sick or there's a fire coming or whatever. Does that make sense?
2: Like what do you do in the tanks and stuff? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Um, from So there's always, so the first thing that comes to mind is sort of, the funny stories about beers that were being made during like a power outage. Um so there was a beer a brewery near here or in the DMV area who was making basically a lager. Um and a big storm came through the derecho. I don't know if that reference makes any sense outside of DMV. And they no, lost power. I'm, and I'm up in Jersey, but yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So they lost power and um, they ended up making a steam beer <laughs> <laughs> and they named it Derecho. Uh It turned out fine, but it's, it's probably, it was probably just as easy to lose that beer as it was to um, rebrand it. Yeah. Uh, so it, there's obviously danger there from an operations point of view, uh, like back of the house stuff, it becomes really, really difficult to do contingency planning for um, long shutdowns. So one thing that we had recommended, so we, we had several customers in the DMV area going into lockdown. And there, there was a wild shift in production going into lockdown, um, at, at least in the very beginning, where people had no idea how long it was going to take. Um, several breweries started brewing high gravity beers To go into barrels, and it was wild because we were we were doing nothing but like hazy IPAs, like quick turn beers, and we had all of that stuff like just churning through the lab at huge volumes, and we had a batch going in the lab, and then one of our primary customers said like, "Oh, we're looking for like an English ale yeast, or we're looking for this Irish ale yeast," and I was like, "We can do that." Was like, "But we don't." Don't have that raised right now so we have to go go to the cryo and pull it out and we started making large large batches of that and loggers a lot of people started doing a lot more Yeah, we saw a lot of that a lot of bloggers in in last summer people doing these really long beers <laughs> and even high gravity loggers so it's tough if you have if you know you're going to be at lower production you can get away with doing some more complicated production beers but if you're worried about like what, what's happening to that beer and tank, and you're the only guy that can um, do back of the house stuff. Well, one, I think that's a very bad strategy to to not have anybody that can cover your work. Um, there should be some sort of vertical, vertical structure to your HR where no matter if your brewmaster goes out, he or she should be replaceable at least from like a cellarman point of view, Mm -hmm. but also, but also if you can't let it sit for a week or two weeks, it's going to be near impossible to, to save that beer. There, there are a couple of things you can do to increase the, the longevity of a beer in tank. Like you can get it off of the trub, transfer it to like a bright or something and, and bulk age it, but there's lots of styles that that's not going to jive well with, right. But there's plenty that will, um, but if you can get it off the yeast, at least that, that would buy you some time, probably a few weeks, um, depending on the beer style, when it's done, this is assuming that it fermented out at the right temperature and there was no interruptions in glycol.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and I guess in the in the event of a natural disaster with potential power outages or uh, extended periods away, um, you're just going to have to, you know, roll with it at some point and, you know, hope for the best, but sort of expect the worst and maybe have to start over again. Um, you know, if, yeah. if you're, yeah.
2: I had a friend who had a brewery in Northern California who has closed this past fire season for a long period of time. And he, this sound this is going to sound terribly, terrible and laborious, but he ended up losing two batches of beer, he ended up loading up a moving van with a bunch of kegs and taking it to, to another facility to store. It's, it's difficult based on your geography and your requirements to, to make a, a, a contingency plan, but it's all about. Finding that solution that to save as much product as possible, without compromising on the quality of it. And so, if you're if you really are going to lose power, and you've got beer in tank, and it's going to free rise, and it's not a crazy temperature tolerant kevich or something, you might lose beer. You probably will lose beer.
0: Uh- this might seem like the obvious question and i hope there's an obvious answer to it but when is the best time to make a contingency plan
2: oh i think at planning like business planning right or right now um yeah because there's there's really no i mean like a plan is the the thing you throw out once like everyone's got a plan until they get hit in the face right Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um and then the plan goes out the window but I, am a big, I mean, I'm, my day job is like a, like a high thinking academic who's trying to plan for an invisible pandemic, right? The next pandemic for an unknown disease, you're going to get it wrong, but the exercise there's value in the exercise, right? And so just having like a whiteboard of ideas is a starting point, even if you don't know anything about what's coming next because it's it's preparedness right it's it's not only just physical preparedness but it's mental preparedness right when the business is closed due to the lockdown which i feel was necessary and get that out of the way um necessary from a public health and just from a humanity point of view there was a huge spike in depression because people had no idea that this was a possibility or that this was coming. I think we can mentally and financially prepare ourselves for this as well by having like an emergency fund. I know Bre- I know businesses in general hate having cash on hand, but I think it makes sense to, to have these discussions within your organizations about what do you do um, when this happens again, if this yeah. happens again.
0: And it's, and it could be something as simple as, okay, well, you know, if we need to move kegs, where are we going to go? Or just knowing what your area might be prone to natural disaster wise. And, uh, just assuming that at some point, you know, it's going to happen to you and to sort of be ready for it, as opposed to, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping that the storm shifts or that, you know, somebody isn't careless with a cigarette or, you know, whatever it is, um, when, i guess i i'm I, after the disaster after uh the you know whatever it is that happens um what do you recommend what do you what do you think just even from a process standpoint um are some of the first things people should check after they get back into um into the brew house you know as, aside from just like what's in the tank like are there are there other things that sort of come to mind of like, you know, when you turn the lights back on, what else you should be thinking about?
2: Well, yeah, I, I'm a, like, sort of my background is I'm a process person. That's so why I, I study like how things are manufactured basically. And whenever you have an interruption in a manufacturing process, you have to, you pretty much have to run the manufacturing process, assuming that every step is broken and sort of rechecking, rechecking and re-measuring every single point of control in that process to make sure that you're within your tolerances and your specs. And so if you had to leave your brewery for a month or two weeks or a week or whatever, and you come back, you should assume your boiler's not gonna turn back on. You should assume that your steam jackets aren't going to work, that your rakes, the motors on your rakes are are busted and just go walk through, like you just installed that brew house and do a sort of like a water a water brew to make sure that you can still transfer, that you can still hit your temperatures, you can still just do everything. And then obviously for the actual product, if you left, if you abandoned product, um, this is something we didn't talk about earlier, but every brewery should have like a sensory panel like a, mm-hmm. a group of people who c- can give you meaningful feedback on your product. Um, it's probably the cheapest quality control that you can install in a brewery because you just need a couple people who like beer. And guess what? You're in a brewery, everybody there likes beer.
0: Yeah. Well, you hope. So just, yeah.
2: You hope. Right. So just grab a friend or a family member or someone you can trust that will give you feedback and give them the product and make sure it's honest, right? Make sure the feedback is honest that would you sell it first? Would someone buy it second? And does it meet the criteria that you set forth when you designed that product? Right. Does the output match the specifications that you put into it? And if not, is it a loss or do you have to, sort of ad hoc or like post hoc I should say um, modify what that product is and revisit the original product I think I think that's yeah, I think that's the answer.
0: okay. We've covered a lot in a short period. Um, and before I let you go, I am I, I'm a big fan of what you post on social media. Uh, not only uh, with updates and sort of insight into the pandemic, uh, but also uh, your unabashed love for Star Wars, and I- I'm curious if you have any sort of insight uh, or any sort of correlation between um, how brewing can be like any aspect of Star Wars.
2: Oh, that's a that's an interesting question. I wasn't expecting.
0: That's that's why I'm here. I'm trying to keep things lively, trying to keep it interesting. And now I'm vamping to help you stall while you come up with what I'm sure is going to be a brilliant, brilliant answer.
2: So there's a lot of alcohol in Star Wars, if you know where to look. Um, There's always a cantina scene um, that demonstrates sort of the diversity of, of drinkers in their universe. And then there's even like bootleg stuff like jet juice. And things that they 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 make on the on the sly. Um one of the I think one of the most iconic scenes in all of Star Wars is the Cantina scene. And it was iconic at the time because of how diverse the population was and how crazy, like, look at all these crazy aliens in this bar. But I do think that, that that does sort of inform like how craft beer is evolving to be a much bigger tent right now, and people shouldn't people should make a product in a place that outreaches to everybody in, in our diverse world. And I think I might be reversing the ask here about how, how beer brewing can be informed by star Wars, but like how, how service can be informed by star star Wars and, and like a tap room that everybody's welcome. And we're all just there to, to enjoy our beverages and each other's company. unless you cut someone's arm off with a sword.
0: Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. Do you have a disaster plan? Have you had to use it? Did it work? Or are you just starting one now? you can email us nano at byo.com and I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nano podcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine and catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of each month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. Before we go, I'm really happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. Check out the latest addition to the Blickman Pro Brewing equipment lineup, skid mounted brew houses, available in five to 15 barrel capacity. These production powerhouses are designed for flexibility, engineered for performance and built for growth. Experience the convenience you want from a name you trust at a price you wouldn't expect. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And we're also brought to you by Yakima Chief Hops, which has officially launched their newest product, CryoPop Original Blend. YCH has combined their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with cutting edge lab analysis to create cryo hops with a pop. Using this new research to identify the most beer-soluble hop compounds that survive the brewing process, they engineered a supercharged pellet that shows massive tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aroma in your finished beers. Learn more at cryopopblend.com. And save the date. The fourth annual NanoCon Online takes place December 3 and 4 of this year, with two days of more than 30 seminars and workshops for the Nano Craft Brewing segment. Be sure to mark NanoCon Online on your calendar or sign up now and save $100. Learn more at byo.com and I'll see you there. I'm John Hall. You can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer, and you can find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music, it was created by Scott McCampbell, and we're thankful for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all your professional nano brewing needs. And for now, I'm going to wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day.